Uh, I work with, as was mentioned, Amazing Facts and have been for the last few years, which has certainly been a blessing as we've traveled around and held various training seminars around the world. I would encourage you to come out this afternoon if you are desiring to give Bible studies. If you are passionate about sharing the word of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to come out and join us this afternoon as we consider that very topic. But again, coming from Northern California, I came from a family that loved the country, that loved being out in nature. I grew up with horses and dogs and chickens and cow town, right? And you know, when my parents decided to buy a horse for me, they had to buy a special type of horse. As you may have noticed, I am taller than average. <laughs> and yes, I play basketball. <laughs> so noticeably, the horse that I required would be a little larger than usual, and thus we settled upon a Clydesdale. <laughs> and I loved my huge horse, um, Sequoia by name. I loved my mammoth beast. Now, my sister was not quite as enthusiastic about horses, and thus my parents bought her a little Shetland pony <laughs> by the name of Ali Capone, after the infamous Al Capone. So there we were one afternoon riding around the pasture, me on my Clydesdale and my sister on her pony. <laughs> and we rode around leisurely and we were enjoying the time together when suddenly I looked over across the arena and I saw my sister struggling. You see, that little pony was having a bad day and that pony was bucking. That pony was rearing, and my sister was holding on with all her might, and yet did not quite make those eight seconds. <laughs> it wasn't long before she hit the ground. And there I am, leisurely cantering around the arena as my sister hits the ground. Now you know, what must you do when you fall off a horse? You get right back on. You can't teach that horse that that's acceptable behavior. You get right back on that horse. But do you think my sister was about to get on that horse? <laughs> Not a chance. And there I am on my Clydesdale when I hear my father's voice. Carissa, get on the pony. <laughs> and I ride on over to that pony. <laughs> climb off my Clydesdale, and step on. <laughs> and thus the ride begins, and at first she is moving quite nicely at a trot, and yet soon her behavior returns. And yet again she is bucking, yet again she is rearing, and when I reach the point of feeling as though I might too hit the ground, when the buck became too strong, I put my feet down. <laughs> and that pony was going nowhere. <laughs> you see, it didn't take much before that pony learned the lesson of absolute surrender. <laughs> that is the very topic we are going to be considering 
today? What does it mean to be absolutely surrendered to Jesus Christ? What does it mean to surrender our plans, to surrender our dreams, and to truly know our Father's heart? Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we have come here today because we desire to know you. We are seeking your face and your presence, O oh, Father God. May I be forgotten and Jesus lifted up. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit may speak through your word, open our hearts, Lord, so that we may receive your message. May it change our lives, is our prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. There's a missionary by the name of Hannah Moore. Hannah Moore was one of the very first missionaries, Adventist missionary, and she traveled to the beautiful continent of Africa. Now, as Hannah prepared for this trip, it was not, though, as our excursions today, where you jump on a plane and you're there within 36 hours. No, Hannah knew that she was going to a very rugged country. Hannah knew that there was malaria, there were diseases. Hannah knew that she would be in a remote village and likely never see her family again. And yet, as Hannah packed for this trip, she brought along the essentials. She brought along her clothes. She brought along her blankets, brought along those pots and those pans and the little memories from home. And yet, if you look at the items, that Hannah brought along, you would find something very unusual. You see, included in those pots and pans and blankets was Hannah's casket. You see, Hannah did not believe that she would live for long. And she packed that casket as a way of saying, I am going to Africa and I am going to die for Jesus there. I don't know if it'll be two weeks, two months, 20 years, but I am giving my all to the work before me. And I wonder sometimes, as we prepare for our missionary journeys, as we prepare for the mission that God has for us here, have we packed our casket? Are we giving our all to Jesus Christ? You see, there was fear in the land. Death was imminent. Battle was certain. The people of Moab were afraid. They knew that they must come up with a plan. How were they to stop these Israelites? Word came to them of a prophet, of a man that could curse a people and they would die, bless them and they would prosper. And thus they were sent to this man. Turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 22. We are in Numbers, chapter 22. And we will begin this morning in Numbers, chapter 22, verses 7 through 13. And the Bible says, So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. And they came to Balaam, and they spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, Launch here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the sons of Zippor, 
King of Moab has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. Then God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. And finally, in verse 13, So Balaam rose in the morning, and he said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. Imagine with me that I was to come to you, and I was to say, You know, your son is giving me great difficulty. I do not like your child whatsoever, and I'm coming to you for permission to kill your son. Would any parent give permission? I would hope you would say no, right? <laughs> of course not. There is no need for me to go before the parent and ask this question because the answer is obvious. There is no need for me to plead a second time, well, God, have you changed your mind yet? God, can I go? Can I curse them? There is no need for me to ask because the answer is already clear. I don't know about you, but I can speak for myself. How often we plead with the Lord when the answer is already known. How often we plead with God for wisdom when what we need is courage to follow what God has already given to us. Are we willing to come to God and lay our plans before him? God, whatever the cost is, God, I want to follow you fully. God, wherever you lead, there I will go. In the book, Ministry of Healing, page 478, we are told that many are unable to make definite plans for the future. Their life is unsettled. They cannot discern the outcome of affairs. And this often fills them with anxiety and unrest. Have you been there before? Anxious, unrest. Many here are in college seeking where God would lead them next. And maybe those feelings arise. Certainly around finals time, I'm sure. She continues. Let us remember that the life of God's children in this world is a pilgrim life. We have not wisdom to plan our own lives. It is not for us to shape our future. Christ in his life on earth made no plans for himself. He accepted God's plan for him. And day by day, the Father unfolded his plans. So should we depend upon God that our lives may be the simple outworking of his will. As we commit our ways to him, he will direct our steps. Too many in planning for a brilliant future make an utter failure. Let God plan for you. So true, isn't it? We think that we are planning big and God is saying, no, my thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts. My ways are so much greater than your ways. I wonder, what must it have been like to be in the very presence of Jesus Christ on earth? I wonder what it must have been like to be one of his disciples, to sleep in the same room as Jesus Christ, 
to eat every meal with him, to see him working miracles. In fact, we are told of one of the disciples, a man who craved to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, who delighted in listening to his teaching, of a man who was given the power to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers. And yet we are told that this man was lost. And I wonder, how is it? How is it after being in the very presence of Jesus Christ, how could Judas be lost? We are told in the book Desire of Ages that the reason Judas was lost is he never came to the point of fully surrendering his life to Jesus Christ. You see, he gave 99.9%, almost everything to Jesus Christ. But was that enough? He did not come to the point of full surrender. That challenges me. Could it be that we are casting out demons? Could it be that we are listening to this beautiful truth, that we know the 28 fundamental beliefs that we can share all about Revelation and Daniel, and yet we are lost? Because we have not fully surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. Have you ever been at a a rally, a week of prayer, and you see it? as though the Holy Spirit is being poured out on everyone around you. And yet you walk away and you still feel empty. You still feel as though God has not changed your own life. Imagine with me for a moment that I was to take this water bottle and I was to go over to the faucet and I want to fill this water bottle. What must I do? I need to take off the lid. You see, I could stand under that faucet all day long with the water running, and this water bottle is still empty because this lid is fastened tight. Have you ever been this water bottle before? And we come to God and we're praying for revival. We're seeking his spirit. We want to study his word. And yet we are like this water bottle. And God is saying, I want to fill you. I want to give you that new experience in me. But are you willing to remove the lid? Are you willing to surrender all so that I can give you that full experience in Jesus Christ? There was a missionary by the name of James Calvert. James Calvert had a burden for the people of Fiji. Now at the time when James Calvert received this missionary call, the people on the island of Fiji were known for being cannibals. Imagine announcing this over Thanksgiving dinner. Whole family coming with me on a ship. We're going to an island inhabited by cannibals. And yet there James Calvert went. He was challenged by the captain of that ship. 
a non-Christian man came up to James Calvert and he said, you are a fool. How could you go to this island inhabited by cannibals? Don't you know that you will die? And yet James Calvert, a man of great faith, turned to him with a look of assurance and he said, Brother, we are not afraid of death for you see, we have already died. We are not afraid of the cannibals. We are not afraid of what lays before us because you see, we have already died. We have already given all to Jesus Christ. You see, I believe that that's the calling for each one of our lives today. Have we truly died? Have we truly surrendered our plans to the one who gave his life for us? See, today I believe that God is calling us to surrender our plans. God is also calling us to surrender our dreams. Turn with me now to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, when I tell you Hebrews 11, what word comes to mind? Faith. And in fact, some of you have probably tuned out because we read Hebrews 11 a lot. But this morning, I want to look at it in possibly a different way and how it applies to our journey today. In your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll begin in verse 4. And the Bible says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. And yet by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For he, before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. You see, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, we see that by faith, Abel died. And yet in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5, we read that by faith, Enoch lived. By faith, Abel died. By faith, Enoch lived. This contrast will continue as we look at verse 7. In verse 7, the Bible tells us, By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Verse 8, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. You see, yet again, the contrast continues. By faith, Noah received a mission, and by faith, Noah stayed. By faith, Abraham received a call, and by faith, Abraham left. By faith, Abel died, by faith, Enoch lived. By faith, Abraham left. By faith, Noah stayed. Do you see the contrast here today? 
By faith they lived, by faith they died. We continue in verse 11. The Bible says, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. In verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. By faith, Abel died. By faith, Enoch lived. By faith, Noah stayed. By faith, Abraham left. By faith, Sarah bore a child. By faith, Abraham offered up that child. By faith, Martyrs of old gave their lives for Jesus Christ and were sawn in two. And yet by faith, others were beaten and yet they lived and proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. By faith they live, by faith they die. You see, I cannot tell you what your journey will be. But I know that by faith we must walk. Our journey is not always clear. And yet a journey in Jesus Christ is never regretted. By faith, we must live. You know, I am so thankful for the promises Isaiah 55. We are reminded that my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, I don't know about you, but I'm a planner. I like to have my life figured out. I like to have my goals set for the next five, ten years. And yet God is constantly reminding me that that is not the journey of faith. God is calling us to lay our plans at the altar because his plans, his thoughts are so much higher than ours. In 2013, I was traveling back from the beautiful country of Indonesia. Delicious mangoes <laughs> and interesting durian. <laughs> and yet a beautiful experience nonetheless. Traveling back from that very long flight, I returned back to Sacramento. We had our four-month AFCO session in progress, and so I began to teach. But I noticed that I was having difficulty breathing. I noticed that it seemed to get more difficult every day. I didn't know what was wrong. It didn't quite make sense, and it wasn't long before I was trying to hold on to the, the, the pulpit as I was teaching because I felt so lightheaded and as though I couldn't get a breath. I went into the physician, the doctor, and, and it took some time before they finally determined what was wrong. See, I had a pulmonary embolism and a thrombosis in my inferior vena cava. If you can imagine receiving that news, again, a blood clot in my lung. Um, which is often, obviously, fatal. And this had been something that had been noticed for several days, a couple weeks even. And so there I was in the emergency room, and, and you know the feeling when you're in the emergency room and you're the patient. 
And that physician told me, wow, I'm amazed you lived this long. I mean, not the most comforting bedside manner. <laughs> and you know, that night, there I was in the hospital, and I was, I was going to be okay. I was on blood thinners and whatever else, but, but there I am in the hospital, wide awake at 3 a.m., thanks to the blood suckers, the nurses. <laughs> Maybe I'm in the wrong company for that comment. <laughs> wide awake, laying there in bed, listening to the beeping and the hushed tones of the nurses in the hallway. And you know, in those moments, you can't help but reflect on your life. In those moments of silence. And I remember thinking one thought. You see, again, a young woman who had many dreams, a young woman who had many dreams of, of serving in the mission field, a young woman who had dreams of being a Christian wife and, and mother and, and many dreams and passions, and yet none of these came to mind. None of the Bible studies, none of the evangelistic seminars, none of this came to mind. Only one thought continued to fill my heart. I wish I had loved Jesus more. You see, none of the accomplishments, none of the future dreams matter in that moment. I wish I had loved Jesus more. You see, this is our only opportunity to share the love and the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. This is the only time to fully reveal his character. As we look at our lives, there are things that may seem important, but in the light of eternity, are we learning to love Jesus more? Every day, I believe, is a gift. I believe that God is calling us to surrender our plans. God is calling us to surrender our dreams because his dreams are so much greater than our own. And lastly, I believe that our God is calling us to trust his heart. I remember talking with a young teenager. He had been in a very, very dysfunctional home. A workaholic mother, abandoned by his father. Again, only a teenager, and yet he knew the party scene far too well. And as I spoke with this teenager... He told me, you know, I feel as though I just can't trust God. You can understand that coming from his background, can you not? I feel as though I cannot trust God. And I turned to that young man and I told him, you are right. You can't trust God because you don't know him. How can we trust someone that we do not know? But when you know Christ, when you spend time with him, you will find that he is the only one your heart can ever trust. You will find that he is the only one that will never let you down. Turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. We are in the book of 
Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs chapter 3, we are going to look at a familiar passage beginning in verse 5. And the Bible tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I don't know about you, but I am very good at trusting the Lord with all my heart while leaning on my own understanding. <laughs> plan A doesn't work. Lord, I got my own plan. We'll make it happen. But God is saying, don't lean on your own understanding. Trust me with all of your heart. In fact, the word here that is used for trust means be bold, be confident, feel safe. Feel safe in Jehovah with all your heart. In verse 6 we read, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. You see, in all our ways we are called to acknowledge him. Now, if you work, look at this word acknowledge, it is often translated as no. In all your ways, know Jesus. In all that you do, in all your work, in all your studies, in all your plans, know Jesus. Know him as the author and the finisher of your faith. You see, absolute surrender is absolutely impossible unless we know Jesus, unless we seek his face and grow in that grace, it is impossible. And God is saying today, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. You can feel safe. You can feel confident in trusting me. Are we able to trust the Father's heart today? I have three sisters, and as a result of having three sisters, I have a lot of nieces and nephews. <laughs> I have eight, to be exact. You're doing the math now, aren't you? <laughs> and I love my nieces and nephews. I love playing with them and hugging them and giving them back to the parents when they need a diaper change. It's the great part of being an aunt. My, one of my youngest nephews, Declan, upon birth, it was discovered that he had three holes in his heart. Of course, that's terrifying news for any parent to hear. They tried to delay the open heart surgery as long as possible, giving him time to grow and to strengthen. But at the age of 10 months old, it was realized that he was no longer thriving. His breathing had become more labored, and they realized that this surgery could be put off no longer. It was time for the open heart surgery. Some of you obviously may have seen this from a very different perspective, but imagine being that parent. Imagine taking your little infant child, 10 months old, handing that infant child over to the anesthesiologist, knowing that soon that child would have his chest sliced open. 
Knowing that soon a very risky surgery would take place, knowing that soon your child will have a scar that will last through the rest of their life. Imagine being that parent as you hand over your child. Now, at the age of 10 months old, could my sister reason with her son? Could she explain to him that this surgery was necessary in order for him to be healed? That the only way that he could be a normal child and breathe and, and live happily is if he goes through this pain. You see, it's impossible for a 10-month-old baby to understand. And yet the parents know that the pain is the only way that healing can be brought. And I wonder how often God is like that parent. I wonder how often God is standing next to our hospital bed and he's saying, you know, I want to explain this to you. I want you to understand that this pain is the only way you can experience healing. And yet he can't because we are like that little child. God, it doesn't make sense. God, I wanted the Enoch journey, not the Abel journey. God, I wanted to be like, like Abraham, not like Sarah. And yet God is calling us today to be faithful, to trust our Father's heart, to know that what I do thou knowest not now, but you shall know hereafter. The situations that we face today may not always be clear. It may not make sense. And yet, are we willing to say, God, I trust your heart. And so I don't leave you wondering. I praise God for the health that Declan experiences today. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. We are in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, and the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You see, we often use this verse in our Bible studies, in our prophecy seminars, and we tell those out there, Jesus is knocking at the heart, at your heart today, and he wants to come in. But you see, this passage was actually addressed to what church? The church of Laodicea. And who is symbolized by that church today? We are. Could it be that Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, was addressed to the Seventh-day Adventist church? Could it be that Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, is actually addressed to my own heart? Could it be that Jesus is standing outside the door of our heart, and he's saying, I want to come in. I want you to experience that joy and that full surrender, but you have to open that door. Mm -hmm. 
so often I tell Jesus, Jesus, I want you to come in, but stay at the entryway. Let me do that mad Friday cleaning first and make this place look glorious. We limit Jesus to the entryway instead of allowing him into our lives, into our plans, into our bank account, into our computer, into our closet. And Jesus is saying, I don't want to be limited. I want you to experience that full joy today. My plans are so much greater. My thoughts are so much higher. I want you to experience the joy of absolute surrender. I just returned from a nearly two-month trip to the beautiful country of South Africa. And while I was there, I learned about a missionary by the name of Lynn Robertson. Now, this missionary served in the uh, mid-1900s in South Africa and several other countries in Africa. And he tells this story of working at a remote village in a clinic. And one day there he is with a physician and several nurses, and, and suddenly he smells this horrific smell. The smell of rotting flesh, the smell of death. He looks over quickly, and there is a man being brought on a stretcher. And he begins to ask the man the questions. The injury is obvious. You see, he had been attacked by a lion several days prior. This man in this local village, his arm began to rot. The infection was spreading. And now he comes before the physician, and with one look, the physician says, I must amputate. That arm has to go. And yet the man turns to the physician and says, there is no way you will amputate my arm. Give me an injection. Give me medication, but this arm remains. The physician began to argue with the man. He said, you will not live. The only way you will survive is if I amputate your arm. That is your only hope. And yet this man looked at the physician and he said, there is no way you will amputate my arm. You see, I have five lives. How will I keep them under control with only one arm? And the physician looked at him and he said, I will come to you tomorrow morning and I will look for that decision. The physician spent all night in prayer. He pled with this man alongside the missionary, God, please soften his heart. Please help him to realize that this is the only way that he can live. The next morning, the physician and the missionary returned to the bedside of this man. And as they looked down on that face, as they looked down at this man who is now feverish, as that infection spreads, and he said, no more time can be wasted. The infection is spreading. The arm must go. No, doctor. Give me medicine. The arm remains. 
with a heavy heart, the physician realized that death would soon be imminent. And by the time of the morning light, that man had indeed passed away. You see, the hardest part of the story is not the fact that the man died. It is the fact that he did not have to die. He could have lived. He could have survived. If only he had undergone the operation. And you see how often we come to Jesus in our grief, in our struggles, in our stress, in our anxiety. And we ask Jesus, oh God, give me peace. Oh God, give me wisdom. And God is looking at us and saying, no, you don't need medication. You need an amputation. You need surgery. The medicine is not enough. I can't give you a false peace. I want to fill you. I want you to have that new and that complete experience in me. You see, I believe that the most miserable people on earth are not atheists. The most miserable people on earth are the Christians that have given 99.9% to God. God, look how much I've given you. Yes, but have you given me your heart? Have you given your all? Have you truly experienced the joy of absolute surrender? Today, I believe that it is God's challenge for me. I believe that that is God's challenge for us. Are we willing to surrender our plans to him? Are we willing to surrender our dreams knowing that his are so much greater than ours? And today, regardless of the cost, are we willing to trust our Father's heart. Today, is it your desire to say, Lord, I don't want to hold anything back from you. God, I want my heart to be right with you. Lord God, I don't want any rotting flesh. Give me that new heart. May I truly experience that joy of absolute surrender. Today, if that is your prayer, if you desire to give all to Jesus Christ, would you just stand with me as we close in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father God, nothing do we bring, but simply to the cross do we cling. Father God, looking at our own lives, Lord, it's amazing that you want us, that you want our heart, that you want to know us, that you want to spend time with us that you have dreams for each one of our lives and that they are so much greater than our own. And yet, Father God, we are standing before you today because we desire completely, 100%, entirely, Father God, to give our lives to you. And Lord, now in this moment of silence, Father, may you open our eyes if there is something that we are holding back and that we have not surrendered to you, I pray that you may convict us. Reveal it to us even now is our prayer, oh God. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you that we do not leave empty when we have surrendered all. We leave filled and overflowing. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to fill our lives to the uttermost. Lord, we give our plans and our dreams to you. And Father God, we are just so thankful that we can trust the heart of our Father. Lord, may you guide us this week as we begin to plan out our week before us. Father, remind us at every step to give our lives and our dreams to you. And in all things, may Jesus Christ, our Savior, be lifted up. We thank you, Father, and we pray and trust in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.